But he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. I can tell you, you may not have a nickel in your pocket, but God's got you. Amen. He's got you. He knows exactly where you are. He's going to make sure that you have a roof over your head. He's going to make sure there's food on the table. He's going to make sure, amen, and take care of you. That's the God we serve. What an awesome God. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. What a God. What a mighty God. Amen. This time we're going to go ahead and dismiss those that are going to their classes. And I believe young adults has class tonight. Am I right? Amen. Yes. Praise the Lord. You can go to your classes. And for you that are in here tonight, turn with me to the book of James. Turn with me to the book of James. Let me grab my Bible here. Thank you, Jesus. James, James, chapter 1. I want to read um, the scripture here. And um, this Monday, I Monday or Tuesday, I'm not exactly sure when it was, but I just started in James and just started reading and, and uh, just studying and just seeking the Lord. And, and um, I, that's why I feel this led tonight. Uh, feel led tonight to speak this in my spirit, but um, I don't have a specific title for this other than James's life, you know, and the Lord, I believe, is going to keep us here for maybe a few weeks on James, uh, maybe the whole book. I don't know. I get started out sometimes and get four or five lessons in, and then I kind of, you know, uh, go to something different as I feel the Lord lead me, but in James chapter 1, we're just going to start here tonight, and I want to read this whole chapter. It's only 27 verses, but I'll read it very quickly and redeem the time. But it's good to see you all here tonight in the house of God. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray over the word of God, and then we'll get right into this. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you because you are such a loving and an awesome God. Lord, where would we be without you? We'd be lost. We'd be, we'd be undone. But God, with you, we have everything. You are our everything. You're our healer. You're our deliverer. You're our savior. Lord, no, no, no other person can save us. We couldn't even save ourselves. But Lord, you sent your only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. And in Christ, we have salvation. I thank you tonight for this wonderful promise and hope and peace that we have in redemption. And Lord, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things become new. I just ask your blessing upon this word as we read it, as we study it. Just lead me tonight, Father. And we'll give you all the glory and honor in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the one thing that separates Christianity, real Christianity, from religion, and you could even call it Christian religion, because there's some people that go to church, but they don't have a relationship. There's a difference between relationship and religion. I'm so thankful that I, I moved from that place of religion over to relationship, and I met Jesus, amen. And oh, what a Savior we serve, and we have. And some people 
They live their whole life and they don't know about this wonderful relationship. But there's nothing like serving Jesus, right, Teresa? Amen. Amen. In James chapter 1, we're going to talk about a man that had a relationship with Jesus. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that gives liberally to gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not or doesn't take it away, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of, the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Aren't you thankful for the crown that we receive in heaven because we overcame and endured temptation? Hallelujah. It's an overcomer's crown. I want an overcomer's crown. Amen. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren, he says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning of his own will begat he us with the word of truth amen of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures wherefore my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of god Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive the meek with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Hello? Deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was, but whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty or freedom in Christ and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And if any among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I want to preach tonight for a little bit here, and I'm talking about James. 
James is a good book to study, especially as we prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church. And um, because as Brother Turner taught us and preached this last Sunday, he is coming for a glorious church. He's coming for a glorious church. And the church can, it, it, it can only have as much glory as it has of the glorious Christ in it. Amen. It's like the old preacher said, you can't have more holiness in your life than you have of the Holy Ghost. And the church is only as glorious as the, it's only as glorious or as the glorious Christ that is in it. So in you and me, Christ dwells. And the greater he dwells and the greater he's seen and the greater he is noticed because of our abiding in him and our obedience to his word, the more people are going to see the glory of God. Does he not say in the word of God, let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. There is a, a glorious church that Jesus is coming to take home and, uh, but it's only as glorious as the Christ that dwells in it. Amen? And so, and the glorious Christ is the Christ after the resurrection. The reason I'm saying this to you is because even Jesus said in John chapter 7, when he told them, he said, come and drink. Amen. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He was speaking of the Holy Ghost baptism. He was talking about how that we are baptized in the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God comes up within us and out of us. But he, said, he spoke of that and he was talking about after he was glorified that the Holy Spirit would come. Well, we know that after he died and rose from the grave and ascended, Ten days later, the Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost and they began to be filled and baptized in the Holy Ghost and we saw all manner of gifts and things, tongues and we saw the power of God in the book of Acts in the first and second chapter. We see this. But the reason I said that is, is because of this reason. Uh, uh, the glorious Christ is the Christ after the resurrection. Why did I say that? Because even Jesus said the Holy Ghost will be poured out after his, after his glorification. I'm speaking that because even Jesus wasn't glorified until after the sufferings of the cross and the death. And then he was risen and he was glorified, the Bible says. And you and I come, we come to the bleeding side of the cross of Calvary. We get saved, we get delivered, we get set free. He changes us, he regenerates us, he makes us new creatures in Christ. All things are passed away, all things become new. And then and only then is the glory of God. Does the glory of God come from your life? Are y'all with me tonight? Just tell me you're hearing me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. There is something to be said about what state or condition we are after our trials and life's experiences. Why are you saying this, Pastor? Because James speaks about things that we go through and the, and the kind of person the kind of character that is to come from our lives. And those, that character is developed, it's birthed, it's developed, it is formed and shaped and, 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 and brought about through trials and experiences that we go through. 
Amen. I thought I knew a lot of things when I first got saved, but 32, almost 33 years later of serving God, I've learned a lot. And I'm still learning. I haven't arrived. But there's something to be said about what state or condition we are in after trials and life's experiences. And I'm saying this because, and I want you to get this. James even says in verses 3 and 4 that the trying of our faith is working something in us. There was something glorious that came about after Jesus rose from the grave. Amen. The Spirit of God was poured out. Men's lives were changed after the cross because of what Jesus did and all of his sufferings and all of the pain and all of the anguish and everything that he went through came with a wonderful and beautiful glory and everything that you go through, Christ is formed in you through every experience, every trial and there's a glory that comes out of it. The glory of God because what happens is people see him and not you. Hallelujah. So James says the trying of our faith in verses 3 and 4 is working something. I'll read it again. He said, he said, I'm a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. I say greetings to you. And he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It's working patience which is perseverance and endurance in you, the power and the ability to endure in you. The Amplified says it perfectly. It produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and and, an inner peace. God is doing something through every trial that we go through that's bringing an endurance and it's bringing an inner peace. What do you mean by endurance, Pastor? What I'm saying is that your faith is enlarged. Your faith is increased. Your faith is exercised. Amen? I've got a muscle in my arm or a couple muscles in my arm and I've got muscles in my legs and all of these muscles, they're just like they're supposed to be except I start exercising them and then they get larger and stronger. But if I stop exercising, they go back down to what they were before. And so, as we go through trials, because this is the, one of the main things that James talks about, he begins to say that there is an endurance, there is a maturity, there is a perfecting, there is an inner peace. There is something that God is doing so that, you know, and He's working in you through every trial, and we all go through trials. And it's a perfect work where you are complete, entire, lacking nothing. The Amplified says in verse 4, and this is just another translation than the King James Version, but he said, Let endurance have its perfect work or result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. There is a type and an example that's inferred here. There's a type of Christian character that we're supposed to have. Yes, sir. This is a, and this is a prophetic word to us all concerning our development and character in Christ because we're all supposed to be being developed in Christ. If you're the same person you were when you got saved 15 years ago, you need to get saved. 
Because when I got saved, I can tell you I went home and as a 19-year-old boy, as a 19-year-old son, I knew God told me, he said, you know what? I, I know you think that you know everything, but you don't. And you need to listen to your, your mom and your stepdad. I had to learn something. I had to learn, you know, to honor my mother and my father. I had to learn to, to shut my mouth and be obedient. God said, don't talk back to her, you know. And don't, don't, and, and I, I really didn't, to be honest with you. But even that down deep in my heart that I didn't speak, God convicted me of. Because, you know, it's not just the things you say, it's the way you feel. Didn't Jesus say, you, you know, you don't even have to commit adultery. It's the thought that's in your heart. You've already sinned in your heart whenever you've, whenever you've looked upon a man or a woman and lusted after them. So it's a matter of the heart. God is trying to develop in this, in this time, in you and I, a character. He's trying to prepare us for his glorious return he's coming back for a glorious church do you do you resemble or do you exemplify the very nature and character of Jesus because we must because that's a church he's coming back for I know this is not the kind of message where we're jumping and shouting and everybody's excited but I'm going to tell you something God is more concerned about your character than he is your charisma amen it's not exciting. It's not that, that which, you know, excites you. But I can tell you, we need character in our lives. Because it isn't who we are here in church when we put on our new life smile. It's who you are when you go home. It's who you are when nobody's looking. So, this is a prophetic word to us all concerning our development and character and, and the character of Christ in our lives. And James is the most qualified person to teach us and exhort us as far as the apostles because James didn't learn patience and suffering and greatness in his poverty and joy in his sorrow and simplicity and sincerity and confidence in his prayer or, or the difference between a living and a dead faith which is all the content of the book of James. He didn't learn all of that from a commentary or devotional. He learned it from living life. He was his own commentary. And it's our commentary today. You know, we, we, we go to the Word of God and we go through and we read the Bible. And then we go to commentaries, whether it's in our Bible or a book that we have. And it goes through and it just kind of gives comment on the Scripture. There, The person that wrote the comment got his content from somewhere. James got it from his life experiences. And the trials that you and I go through, God is developing us, changing us, molding us, making us. We're on the potter's wheel. And he's put his hand to us. And I said this years ago, and I'll say it again. When I was a kid, I squeezed that Play-Doh in preschool. Whether you played with Play-Doh or not, and with my grandbaby coming up, when she gets old enough to know not to eat it, she might get to play with some Play-Doh. I might be down there with her. But when I squeeze that Play-Doh and I let go of it, or whether it's clay or whatever it may be, it has my handprint on it. It has my DNA on it. So when God squeezes you and he puts the squeeze on your life and he's molding you, he's leaving his handprint. 
He's leaving his character. The trials we go through, God is shaping us and he's leaving his character, his nature, his grace. Look at James's whole life and see the work of heart that God did. Look at the depth and the meat of spiritual revelation and principles that he taught. See, there's a reason James calls himself a servant of God and not Jesus' brother and not an apostle, but he says, I'm a servant. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more humble you become. Because you realize who he is and are called to serve and glorify God and Christ. You see that. I'm to glorify him. It's not about me. It's about him. Amen. I could go through many scriptures, but I want to highlight just a couple tonight talking about James's life because I almost couldn't get past the first verse when it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought he was a servant, but Lord, he was your brother. Yes, he was Jesus's brother, uh, uh, a half brother, but he was his brother and he was also an apostle, but he said, I'm just a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I thought about that so much and I thought, Lord, you know, why did he say that like that? What was the purpose behind that? And I want to highlight something tonight. In John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and we're going to do a little bit of Bible study here, but in John chapter 7, 1 through 5, the Bible says this, it says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry or his own people, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you do. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe. Believe in him. Can you imagine that Jesus is doing all of these miracles and his brother James doesn't even believe he is who he says he is? Or he doesn't, he does not believe. That's what it says right there. His brethren didn't even believe that he was much of anything. If you go over to Matthew chapter 13, you see that Jesus is just looked at and considered only as the carpenter. Carpenter's son. For it says it here in, in Matthew chapter 13, verses uh, 54. If you go to the back of that chapter, but in verses 54 it says, 53, And when it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence, and when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogues, and so much that they were astonished, and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? You know, when people get saved, let me stop for a second and say, when people get saved and they see where God has brought you from to where you are today, they're astonished. They can't believe that you're not who you used to be. But thank God we're not. Because we were a lot of things. And I'm not going to pass the mic around because we don't want to hear about everybody's bad things. They're old things. He saves us to the uttermost. I don't want to focus on the old things. I don't want to talk about them. I don't even want to go there. 
Well, you say, well, you've got a testimony. Yeah, well, you know, one time I heard a little preacher, I saw, heard of a man that got up and he, he said, I, I was a bad dude, I want to share my testimony, and I was a bad dude. And for 10 minutes he went on about all the bad things that he did. I mean, he was this, he was a gang member, he was this, he all these horrible things, and he went on and on and on. And the little old preacher, pastor's wife, stood up, and she looked at him and she said, and shame on you. Are you going to glorify God for what he did? Or are you going to talk about how bad you were and how good God was to get you? Let me tell you something. The only reason we're anything is because of Jesus. We, he said, I didn't, I didn't just come to save you, but I came to save you to the uttermost. So glorify God. Honor God. We were a lot of bad things, but those old things are passed away. It's, they should see the new Christ-centered, saved person in you. That's the way it's supposed to be. But, but the Bible says here, you know, Jesus is in a total different category. They were astonished at the things that Jesus was doing and the wisdom and the mighty works. And they said, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He goes, James does. I read those scriptures to you because I wanted you to see how people looked at Jesus, but they didn't know who he was. Only God can show you who he is. Only God can draw you and show you who Christ is. He's Savior. He's your Lord. Nobody else. Only Christ. I don't have to come to a preacher and ask him to forgive me. I can go to Jesus. Right to God. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful. Because he goes from, James goes from skeptic to apostle. Paul calls him an apostle in Galatians 1.19. And he states that Jesus met James as risen Savior, or in the risen Savior state, he met him in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Paul says he met James. He met the 500. He met his apostles. He met Peter. He, and he met up with James. I believe he met up with James and he said, do you, do you believe me now? Do you believe I am who I said I was? Do you believe now that you, you he had to have seen him die on the cross. He had to have known. There were, there were, there were uh, personal accounts that saw Jesus hang on the cross. Mary was at the foot of the cross. And, 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 and so he had to know that. And then Jesus just appears in that 40-day period from the time he rose to the time he ascended. And he says, he meets up with James. I don't know what he said. The Bible's silent on that. But I'm just going to tell you that James had a coming to Jesus meeting. He had a coming to reality meeting where he said, you know what? You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the one that died and rose from the grave. Just like you said, you are all of those things. And it 
registered and it clicked and he got it. God brought an understanding there of faith. And from that moment forward, James went through a lot of things and everything that he went through, he's recording and documenting and he wrote in the book of James, they were life experiences and one of the things that he learned was, I know who this Jesus is now. I know who he is and I'm not worthy to be called his brother. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I'm a servant of the Lord. Was it not John the Baptist that said, I must decrease and he must increase? Amen. Was it not John that said, you know, when they asked him, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I'm not him. He said, but he's coming. He's coming. And he said, I'm not even worthy to unloose or unlatch the sandal latch on his, on his feet. I'm not worthy of that. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes down there at the Jordan and he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. James had to come to the reality to know who who Jesus was and he revealed himself in his glorified state and in that glorified state I can tell you he knew he's the Messiah and I'm a servant amen there's something powerful that transpired as he grew as he grew and he progressed and we learned this from his writings he said I was a servant and he begins to write about how that there was a scattering. I'm going on here. He said, I'm a servant of, the, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, this message or this letter is to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. I want to tell you, I greet you. Amen. You know, why, did I, why am I sharing this with you tonight? Why did he say and send a letter to the scattered abroad and send a greeting and send one of the most profound and most prolific and most uh, the, with the greatest revelation about patience and trials and what's important about prayer, about the tongue? Think about all the meat in a, in a, in a, in a four or five chapter, five chapter book. Think about all the meat wrapped up in about four pages. That's powerful. You know, for somebody to have that kind of wisdom and insight and revelation and capsulize it in five pages is powerful. And he said so much, so much in such a short little book. But he wrote to them and he started with the scattering of the people of God. Because number one, James knew that, that the devil's agenda is to scatter. His agenda is to divide. He wants to divide and destroy the people of God. Now, if you don't have Christ in your life, I can tell you, I've seen families break up and scatter and all kinds of things happen. But when Jesus comes in the mix, unity comes back into play. Amen. Amen. But he said, the reason that you're scattered out there, he didn't say that specifically, but I'm sharing with you the enemy's agenda is to scatter. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30 and Luke eleven twenty three, if you're not with me gathering, you're scattering. We need to be people that glorify God by gathering people in rather than scattering. 
And we can scatter with the things that we say. We can scatter with the body language that we show. When I first got started pastoring this church, we started, we didn't have any people. And God told me, they are not going to come to you that don't even know you're here. You have to go outside these walls and you got to go get them. Just like Jesus said, go to the highways and the byways and shake those bushes and shake those trees and go everywhere and minister to them. And there was a lot of people that didn't want to come to church. But I went to somebody that was sitting on a, on a stoop right there in front of the liquor store. A man was drunk and he was sitting there. His name was Jose. And I walked over to him and I, I began to talk to him and he's crying. And I'm talking to him. I know he was, he was drunk crying. I know that drunks cry sometimes, you know. But here he is crying. And I put my arm around him. He cried some more. Amen. And I'm just talking to him about Jesus. He said, I don't have anything to eat. I haven't eaten. I said, let's go eat. Took him down to Denny's and he bought everything on the menu. He got the eggs and the bacon and the Grand Slam and a home run. <laughs> Soup and salad and I thought, well, you know, here's my credit card. I just, he ate and ate and ate and ate. He looked at me and said, aren't you going to eat, Pastor? I thought, I don't have any money, so <laughs> I'm broke. <laughs> but I gave everything I had, <laughs> Amen. And then we, we go out and I said, well, he said, he's crying again. He said, I don't have no place to stay. So I said, you know what? I'm going to put you up in a hotel for the night. And this was years ago. Back before they built all that stuff, there was a, a, a hotel over there where they've built all them, you know, it was called the Sunset. And I know some of you know exactly where I'm talking about, amen. Over there, it was one of those, you know, one-night stay deals, you know. Keep your luggage on top of a rack because you don't want to get bed bugs. But anyway, here we are. I'm being funny, but I'm not. Took him in there and got him a room. And uh, he just couldn't believe that. And I said, I put you up in a room. I said, I'm going to come and get you tomorrow for church. And so anyway, he, he, he got sick, had a devil in him, cast the devil out of him. This is a true story. All that happened in about a two-hour period. We prayed over him. He went to bed. I said, I'll be here in the morning. I got there at 9 o'clock in the morning. There he was. I'm ready to go. I said, let's go. He said, this is a crazy place here. A lot of things going on here at this hotel. I said, well, that's all I got in my, my budget, you know. I couldn't put you over there at the Heritage Inn. It was $60 a night back in 2000. And 2000. So you're going to be at the sunset for 38, okay? Work with me here, brother. But he came to church, and the Lord touched him. Okay? I didn't scatter him. I had it in my pocket. I had the wherewithal. I gathered him. Gathered him in. And uh, we prayed for him. I believe he got saved that morning. I, I sent him to a, a men's home. And then he went to another men's home a few days later up north. But I did what I was supposed to do. But the devil wants to destroy and scatter. God wants us to gather. To gather people. He's the God of reconciliation. Amen? It's interesting because Satan loves to divide, but Jesus gathers. He reconciles. He restores the dead bones and 
that are scattered in the valley to an exceedingly great army. That's the God we serve. If you study the Word of God, you know Babel brought judgment in the Old Testament of scattering of the language. Pentecost brought blessing and the gathering of power through a communication by language. That's a powerful thought. You didn't say amen, but I did for you. Amen. But when you feel your language can't express your heart and you feel distant from God, God uses and takes you into that deeper place of edification. And that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why he baptizes us and gives us that prayer language, that tongues that we can pray and we can cry out to God in an unknown tongue and you can express yourself while you're alone with God and weep and cry and you go further and deeper into a place in the spirit realm and it's an awesome thing and you that are baptized in the Holy Ghost know exactly what I'm talking about when you feel distant and you feel like Lord I, my English language won't, won't take me any deeper God says just pray in the spirit here you come praying in the spirit you come into a realm and you're worshiping God tears streaming down your face it's a beautiful thing almighty God God's a God of gathering. The devil's a, a, a demonic entity that wants to scatter and divide. Amen. Anybody that wants to speak division and you'll hear people talk, I'm telling you right now, run. Run. He said, my brothers, my brethren, in verse 2, the church, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. He was saying, I know that the enemy has come and seeming like you've been, or you've been scattered. You know, you're, you're being persecuted for your faith. In the RSV, it says, when you meet various trials, because temptations uh, in, in this particular passage is, it means trial and has two meanings. So he said, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. He's talking about trials is really what the word means, and it has two different meanings. There are external adversities and an inner impulse to sin. They're both different. There's an attack of the enemy, and then there's that, that uh, impulse to want to sin and be tempted to sin. Either way, Satan wants you to quit, give up, and say, what's the use? I'm not going to serve God because of these trials and these temptations and this attack. But I want to tell you something, church. We need to stay the course. And James said, in essence, I've been there. I know how it feels. And you got to count it all joy, amen, when you're going through these diverse trials and temptations. you got to count it all joy, amen. Why do you got to count it all joy? Because Jesus counted you joyful, amen. He said for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despised the shame and he seated at the right hand of the father in other words you were the joy that was set before him and when he delivered us and he saved us he put a joy down deep in our heart and he said count it all joy this temptation this persecution this attack of the enemy is just for a moment but serve me amen heaven is forever eternity is forever and you've got a holy existence to rejoice and glorify God count it all joy Jesus never complained but he went to the cross and he endured it so rejoice because our sufferings are but a fraction 
of what Christ took for us. Amen. Trials come. And they are reasons we need to count it all joy. Number one, there is enlargement coming if we'll let grace work in us. David said in Psalms 4.1, he said, you've enlarged me in my distress. Just, that's a scripture. Psalms 4.1, you have enlarged me in my distress. There's enlargement coming if we will let grace work in us. If you mumble and grumble and you say, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did this happen to me? Why am I going through this? I'm going to tell you something. Every one of us deserves nothing from God. Everything that we have is because of His grace, His mercy, and His love. That's the only reason any of us are sitting here tonight is because of His grace and His mercy and His love. It's like the preacher that was laying in bed and had cancer had a family member say, why? Why us? He said, why not us? We're no better than anybody else. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Amen. That's why Christians go through things just like people that don't know God. The believer goes through things just like the unbeliever goes through things. The difference is we can count it all joy because we have the grace of God. We have the grace of God. We have the power of God. Amen. You know, Jerry, I was thinking just now, God brought this to my mind. But years ago, Patty had an, a, a cousin that was killed right down the street here. And his, his mom and dad, they went through a grieving time, but the mother went through a deep grieving time. And it's been 20 years, I believe now, 20 years that since that boy died and she still wears black and she still lay, sits in a room and she's still under a cloud of mourning and a cloud of grief. But you, sis, amen, even though you lost your daughter, you're rejoicing and God delivered you and he set you free and he gave you a grace. See, the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is the power of God. That's why we can count it all joy. Because we can say, even though I was grieving my daughter, even though I was mourning her, God gave me grace and comfort that a person that doesn't believe in God won't pray for that. They won't lay hold upon that promise. They won't live in that. They won't see that operate in their life. And I can tell you, there's got to be times any mama or dad that's lost a child, they feel that pain and that grief come, but they can reach out to the Lord and they can, they can touch him and he can bring healing because he's a God that heals the brokenhearted. Amen. We count it all joy because there's enlargement there. There's enlargement. There's enlargement coming if we'll let grace work in us. Psalms 4.1 In my distress, you've enlarged me. There's also jo joy in knowing the Lord is working all things for my good. For His good and for His glory. Why is this happening, God? I'm working something out. Amen. 
Job said, I, I don't understand all of this, but you know what? I'm not going to blame God. I'm going to say, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and one day I'll see him face to face. Job of the Old Testament. He said, though he slay me, I will trust him. I'm counting everything. I'm, 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 I'm counting everything joy, and I'm resting in that, knowing that the Lord is working all things for my good, his good, and his purpose, and his glory. Number three, we experience the empowering and the activation of God's grace and joy or forgiveness and long-suffering through every trial. We grow. Why did he say count it all joy? Because you have something that you can tap into and that you have that the world doesn't have. They got to go to the doctor and have him prescribe them some kind of a mental, uh, some kind of a psych med. But you, can, you and I can go to the great physician. Amen. You can go to the great physician. There have been many times I've went before the Lord and I said, God, I can't carry this. It's too much. It's too heavy. It's too great. And he said, just, the Lord has spoken to me, not audibly, but in my spirit. And he said to me several times, probably four or five times in my Christian life, son, just sit here and just worship me and let me bless you. Let me bless you. And I sit there and I begin to worship the Lord. Lord, I thank you and I feel his presence and his spirit come over me. And I can't explain it, but God does something. And you can't explain it. You can't. It's, it's like the old preacher, the country preacher said, it's better felt than told. You can't explain it. But it's real. It's real. Like the old country song said, if God is dead, who's this living in my soul? He put flowers on the hill. Your cup he'll gladly fill. How can you stand there and say, God is dead? He said, if my soul had windows, I'd leave them open for the world to see. The scars upon his hands and feet that bled for you and me. There's a bridge you can cross, if you will. The toll was paid at Calvary's Hill. If God is dead, who's this living in my soul? People say, I don't believe you're God. Well, you know what? On, on, on Judgment Day, it ain't going to matter what they believed. It's going to matter what you believed and what you knew in God. And, folks, it's not the starting of faith. It's the ending that matters. I mean, the start is important, but faith is being worked and enlarged and endurance and perseverance and all of these things are, are taking place so that you have what you need, which is a faith not only to live by, but to die by. I don't know why I'm saying this, but God does. But I want to say to you, there's joy. And knowing the Lord is working all things. And there's an experience that empowers you and I and activates grace and joy, forgiveness, long-suffering in every trial.
I asked God, why count it all joy? He said, because there is no trial that God does not allow. And you have to know, he will never pour new wine into an old wineskin. That's Bible. So he can't do anything new in you. He can't pour anything new in you until you are a prepared vessel that can handle it. Some people don't move past their state where they're at because they won't allow God to make a new wineskin in them. Amen. That's why they don't ever forgive anybody. Marinate on that for a second. Remember, it's not about the skin, but the wine. And the trial establishes or makes the new skin. Count it all joy because God sees what you don't. He's making something. And God's always making something. He's still creating. Somebody said, God doesn't create anymore. I said, oh, you're wrong. He stopped creating the book of Genesis. I said, no, he didn't. I said, even the Bible tells us that's not right. I said, he's still creating. He's making new creatures in Christ. He's creating. David said, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. I said, what about the man that had the withered hand? And he said, stretch forth your hand. He didn't have it, and God created it. <laughs> Jesus created it. Brother Clendenin one time was preaching, and he had a prayer line. This was in the 50s. He had a prayer line at a tent. And he said, a man came up, and he had two patches on his eyes. And I, I'm sorry, he had uh, glasses on his eyes. And um, he said, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I need healing. And so Brother Clendenin laid his hand upon him. This is in the 50s, the healing revivals. He said that. He said, it just came out of my mouth. He said, you'll see tomorrow. Laid his hand on him and said, you'll see perfectly tomorrow. And he said he left. And he said all night long that devil screamed in my ear. He didn't get no healing. He didn't get nothing. Amen. And he said the next night at that meeting, he said I was looking out there for that Chevy Bel Air or whatever it was, that old blue Chevy, he said it. I just called it a Bel Air. Amen. He said I saw him pull up. And he said he got out of that car and he said he didn't have them glasses on. In fact, I think he drove it. Listen. Man came up, hugged him. He said, you know, he said, I went home blind. He said, I went to bed. He said, every night I put them black patches on my eyes because that cold air would just dry out my eyeballs, my eyes, rather, my eye sockets. He said, because I didn't have any eyeballs. He said, but I woke up this morning with two perfectly blue eyes. Oh, that never happened, preacher. You weren't there. They just said that. Well, let me tell you about my healing before I let you go. In 2006, I fell off a ladder in this church. In that bathroom over there where the women's restroom is. I fell off a 20-foot ladder. I was working all the way at the top of this building in this church in this church as high as you can get up I was on that ladder and I was drilling into the wall and my drill bit broke 
and it threw me off that ladder and I fell flat on my head, straight down on my head on this concrete floor in that bathroom. I don't remember working. I don't remember falling. I don't remember anything but get waking up, my eyes opening up in the hospital and my dad was right there and my wife. And I asked my dad, I said, Dad, why are you here? What is wrong with me? And you got to know my dad never talked stern to me because I wasn't raised around him. But he said, son, listen to me. He said, I've told you 15 times. You fell and had an accident at your church. And he said, you're bleeding on your brain. You have two cracks in your skull. And he said, you need to calm down and sit here and relax because they can't do anything with you unless you sit still. They've got you sedated. But every time you wake up, you're trying to get out of this bed. And he said, they're wanting to do surgery on you. Just lay there, son, and relax. So I said, okay, Dad. So I'm laying there in that hospital bed. And one by one, people come through the door. From my past, from people that I used to go to church with, friends, family, preachers from all over come through those doors. They'd walk in, see me in that hospital, laying in that bed. I fell on a Monday, woke up, I think, on a, either a Tuesday night or a Wednesday morning. I think it was a Tuesday night I come to. I, call, I told my wife, I said, call Pastor Duke. He's the only pastor I have. Call him. And I remember he came through the door. I'm telling you the truth. When he saw me, he tried to hide his, on his face, but he couldn't. And I said, just please pray for me. And he prayed for me. I'm vomiting up blood. You can ask my wife. They turned me on my side, vomiting up blood. Blood, it went down through my nose and my face, my stomach was so sick he left I laid there in that bed and my wife kept letting people come through the door this is important it wasn't until my boys came through I said bring the boys in she said I'm going to bring the boys in before they take you out for surgery tomorrow morning they came in and Cameron, he's just Cameron, you know, he just laughed, just kind of chuckled and laughed and made a comment. But I knew when my boy Kyle walked through the door, he just stood there and he stared at me. He started crying. He said, Dad. And I just, I thought, why is he crying, you know? And um, so I told Angela, I said, just take him out. Somebody give me a mirror. Nobody give me a mirror. I want to look at my face. I want to look and see what I look like. Why does everybody keep coming and going <gasps> when they walk through the door? Nobody give me a mirror. So I laid there in that hospital bed. And I said, Lord, here I am. I don't know why this happened to me, but I'm not angry with you. You know why I'm not angry with you, Lord? Because you saved me when I was 17 and my... my uh, my life was just a crumpled up piece of paper. I was just a reject and thrown to the side. And I didn't feel like anybody cared or anybody loved me. I just, I just, I just, that's the way I felt. And maybe that wasn't altogether the way my life was, but that's the way I felt. I just, 
you know, was just a very broken young man. And I laid there and I said, Lord, you saved me and you picked me up off of the scrap heap of humanity and you made something out of me. You made something out of me. I didn't make myself. You made something out of me. You came in and now I'm serving you. But I said, Lord, I don't know why this happened. I was working at the church, but I'm not mad that something happened to me. I'm not mad about this accident. I'm not mad, you know, because I love you. You're my portion. You've always been my portion, my Savior. How could I be mad at you, God? And I said, I'm asking you to heal me. But if you don't heal me, I'm still going to serve you. If I'm a quadriplegic, I'm going to serve you. And I heard that still small voice say, everybody in that Bible, that Jesus said, get up and walk, that took up their bed and walked, was healed. God said, you want to be healed? Get up. Most people sit there and say, well, the doctor said. I said, Lord, you're my doctor. He said, you want to you be healed? Get up. So I did. I put my feet on the side. And I stood up, everything within me. Stood up out of that bed. I'm standing there, wobbly. He said, take a step. So I just took one. I grabbed my little IV stand. I took another step. Every step that I took, I felt stronger. Felt stronger and stronger. I started walking. I walked out of my hospital room. I'm walking. I was kind of looking around. Hey, man, I don't know what I had on. I didn't care. <laughs> I'm walking. Walked around the hospital. Come around here. The nurses and the doctors, you know how they sit behind the desk and they never pay any attention to you. You say, oh, pastor, I'm telling you, try to get... They just, they keep their head down. Don't make eye contact. They looked up and they were like, what are you doing? I said, I'm walking. They said, get back to your room. I sat down in my bed. Five doctors came into my my, uh, room. I'm telling you the truth. Because you know, it's a college out there at UCI. Is it UCI? Irvine. Them doctors came in and they're looking over the top of me. All these college students that are practicing medicine, they're interns. One's going, I think we need to do this and I think we need to do this. I think we need to do this. And thank the Lord, my little four-foot neurologist, she came in and she looked and she said, we're going to give it till tomorrow and we'll see how you are in the morning. They left. I told them, I want something to eat. Can't eat nothing. I said, yes. Do you see me? I need food. Like four days ago. This is Thursday. They brought me in popsicles. Man shall not live by popsicles alone. After 15 popsicles, I went to sleep and woke up the next day and I sat up completely healed. Completely healed. Completely healed. 
I said, I want to eat. My mom said, Jonathan, you can't eat. They're going to do surgery. I said, oh, no. The Lord told me, don't let them touch you. Do not let them touch you. Just walk out of here. I said, please bring me a, some breakfast. They brought me a menu. I ordered everything on the menu. Everything, oatmeal, pancakes, eggs, bacon, grits, amen. Everything they had, chocolate milk, coffee, juice, toast, tortillas, everything. I'm just like, everything. That nurse, that doctor came in and she goes, you know what, sir? There's nothing we can do for you. We're just going to send you home. My mom said, wait a minute. She said, three days ago, there was two cracks and bleeding on the brain. Now what? She goes, I, 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 she said, well, ma'am, we did another CAT scan and we didn't see anything. She goes, explain that to me. She goes, I, I, ma'am, I can't. I, she said, explain that to me. She said, I can't. My mom said, I want you to explain to me how one day he's got cracks. The next day, he, or three days later, he doesn't have nothing. Explain that to me. And she said, ma'am, your son's a medical phenomenon. We don't know what happened to him. My mom said, I'll tell you what happened to him. His God healed him. So when you're going through a trial in your life, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Don't get mad and say, Lord, whatever I'm going through, I know that you're in the midst of it and you're going to be here with me through it and you're going to bring me through it all because that's the God I serve. He's a healer. He's a savior. Whatever you have need of, I can tell you, Jesus is your answer. And if you don't know the Lord tonight, you can. We're going to close with a song, and then we're going to pray. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, cry out to him right where you're at. Ask him to come into your heart. Ask him to forgive you and give you pardon of your sin.
He's the only one that can. He's the one that died for you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.